0: Hey guys, welcome to Overpressed. I'm Chris, and I'm Jake, and we have a pretty cool episode. I, should we have like, uh, should we have ratings for the episode? When well, I, I mean, up, like, I we have pretty cool, very good, awesome.
1: We're a pretty good car podcast, so, so I thought you're just, just saying it's pretty good,
0: pretty good episode today. Don't which oversell is, it. Which is very Minnesota. We have a pretty good episode. We have Colin from uh, Colin Comer from Collins Classic Cars. He's a friend of mine. He's worked for Haggerty in the past. Does has written a couple books on uh, on cars, namely uh, a Carroll Shelby book, which is really really cool, oh, like cool. a Shelby book, and. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, he has a lot of knowledge that I don't have, but he also does a lot of um, that's big of you to admit. Well, there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole world out there of cars, especially when it comes to domestic classic stuff right. that I just don't know. And he's got a wealth of that type of knowledge. But we're going to talk to him about kind of his history with cars, but also kind of the um, he does a lot of buying and selling, obviously, since he runs a classic car um, dealership, basically. So he buys and sells a lot of cars. So we're going to talk with him, talk to him about that but I have a lot of questions on how do you get started? Like what's, you right. know, like if you don't have any money and you want to, you want to start doing this, what are some of the pitfalls that you might run into? First, don't buy a Yugo. Don't, I made money on that Yugo. <laughs> I made money, buy, definitely buy a Yugo. Okay. I, I made money on it. So um, we're going to talk about uh, my hostage VW situation. We also well, have Joe Fetter from the Motor Authority is here. He's going to be going through the news with us. So stick around for the news. Uh, be cool. We've got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about there. There's a lot of, This week is really good for news. There's lots of really good stuff. So stay tuned towards the end of the episode
1: for that. All right. Before we get into that, though, let's take a moment to talk about our new sponsor, Renline. If you tuned in last week, you know, we had partnered with them to offer an awesome discount. You can get Renline designed performance parts for European cars, most notably Porsche. You may know of their interior accessories, Chris, but also their full suspension setups. And I'm actually expecting a shipment from them this week, Chris. Right on. I'm getting some new high-density control arm bushings and a strut brace. That's really cool. That'll work really, really well.
0: Is that 2.2 liter engine barely pushes I have you around? Really <laughs> grippy tires though. Now, as you know, that's so true. actually I might God, use it. The car is going to be, be momentum driving. The car is going to be awful to drive. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely not because of the bushings, <laughs> but with like
1: were, okay. Be anyway, nice, be nice. So, Renline they do create the highest quality equipment. That's at functional as it is beautiful. They've been in business for the past 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of Porsche enthusiasts. And as I mentioned last week, though, what really sets Renline apart is they aren't just another distributor. All their products are designed and engineered in-house right there in Vermont. In Vermont. Vernant? <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's Vermont, the, it's, it's Vernant. It's the 51st state of Vernant. not right yeah. next to Vermont. Uh, there's no doubt they produce extremely high-quality products products proven by the fact that they actually guarantee every single product that they create. So be sure to check them out on renline.com and use the code overcrest2. That's the number 2. Yep, overcrest followed by the number 2 and you'll get 5% off your next order along with free
0: shipping on orders over 250 bucks. Awesome. So um did you have you been following well our listeners that have been following what's been going on with me on social media know that my my car is is an absolute disaster, the Volkswagen. Right.
1: This it's, was funny because you were trying to test the limits of this Blue Def system.
0: I was. I was So there's Blue Def, which is diesel exhaust fluid. Sure. And basically it's ammonia, synthetic ammonia, I believe, or whatever. Yep. And it, it goes, reduces the emissions of a diesel. Of nitrogen, I think, is what it removes. I reduces. think you're right. I think it's maybe ni- whatever. Anyway, so basically what it is, it's like a, a a tank that has a line that runs up to the front and it squirts this fluid in. As you go, and it cleans out the exhaust or whatever, and does whatever it does to make it so we aren't—that was really scientific. We aren't killing people, basically, (laughs) because as we know, diesels kill people. Um, So I, I, as you, as it runs out, a little timer shows up, and it says in 500 miles car will not start now some of our listeners know that i've been yelling about this for a while so some of this will be a little repetitive i'm sorry and then so then it goes 400 miles 200 miles and all of a sudden it's like every 50 miles and then and i'm like i wonder if they really are going to hold me hostage (laughs) is it actually going to get to zero am i going to be stranded because that would be ridiculous imagine if you were in ethiopia or nairobi or madagascar or in the middle of nowhere australia you can't just go to o'reilly and buy blue Deaf. Or just the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. Or in the middle of nowhere. Or yeah, let's say you're in Utah, Nevada, anywhere where you just can't get this stuff. I mean, they give you a 500 mile warning, but let's be let's be realistic that the um, the range on the car is almost 500 miles. Sure. So, I mean, you're getting like a full tank's worth of notice. That's not quite enough for me. I think it's 500 miles. Maybe it's a thousand miles. I don't remember. Anyway, regardless. So I'm like, well, I'm going to see if it won't start. And then one of our listeners sent us messages and said, do not do that, because if you do that, it screws the system up. And it will never it won't start and it won't register that you put anything in it. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So at, with 20 miles left to go, <laughs> I put it in. Sure. And you, wh- I, I put the fluid in the car. Yeah, thank okay? you. Yep, I put the fluid you. in the car. I go, I get in and it just goes, <laughs> ding, 15 miles, ding, 10, Uh-oh. ding, five. And then it turns red yep. like Hal from the from the, uh, from Mist- <laughs> from the movie It's like, hello, it's, Dave. Sorry, Dave, your car will not start when you try to restart it. And it, it it will not start. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I filled it up. It won't start. Great. So I take it all the way down to the dealership. Okay. And it says zero miles will not start when turned off. So don't turn. it so off. So don't turn it off. So I'm there, and I get out, and the guy turns the car off. Immediately. <laughs> First of all, he just turns the car off. I'm like, oh. He's like, he's like, oh, can you bring it back tomorrow? What? Can you bring? We don't have any space for you. Can you bring it back tomorrow? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, no. I'm I like, can't. start it up. I'm like, start it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go start it up. It will not start. Yeah, it won't start. So it will not start. So it doesn't even give you a warning or anything. It tries to start. It tries to start, but it's got a fuel cut off, I'm sure of some sort. So it will not. You'd
1: think if they were going to tell you it can't start, they just wouldn't like try to start it instead of burning out your starter.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. So anyway, they they. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, oh, I'll just leave it here. You know, no big deal. We'll f- fix it. So I got it back Tuesday. Yeah, they had to replace all kinds of lines. There was seriously, there was a bunch of lines that were bad. Some were leaking. Um, I'm not sure exactly everything, but you look under the hood and you can see that all the way by the turbocharger, there's a bunch of new like hard plastic lines that are up there and like a valve that's up there, all huh. kinds of stuff. So anyway, you think you, so were,
1: you, you were leaking this fluid? I was then.
0: leaking this. I've been leaking it since I got the car because this is the second time I've had to bring it back for this oh. system. So anyway, so I'm driving around I'm like, man, this thing really stinks. And it's this burning death. I'm like, well, maybe they spilled some somewhere. Because, sure. you know, you screw up or it's loose or you're trying to a little yeah. bit spills on the exhaust or oh, yeah. or gets in. The, and I'm like, fine, you know, but I drove a lot. Okay. And it still smells. It still stinks. And so that's just so now it the got, smell? It got to the point where there was fumes in the cabin when I was up in <laughs> Duluth today. So I called them up and I'm like, hey, you know, what are we going to do to do a buyback on this car? Because this is going to be my third time dealing with this specific issue so i'm kind of in the works of maybe doing a buyback on the car through lemon law to try because this is like the wow. third time that the the system has leaked after they've fixed it so i'm just not interested in dealing, dealing with it anymore but here's the the worst part about this is, is when i took the car in uh-huh. like oh, i'll just rent a car no problem my driver's license is expired <laughs> so i had to go to the dmv and i was sitting there and the, the wait was actually about four hours Oh, my God. There was a guy that had a number way higher than mine. I tried to buy it from him. Sure. So I offered him $25. And then I'm thinking, hey, capitalism. Okay. If I sit here for four hours, I bet I could sell my ticket for $100. Sure. So this is like a new idea that I think we should talk about off the air.
1: You know what would be even better? What's that? Is you just find somewhere else that has the same ticketing system and just take a lower number from there and come back and say that's not going to work because I'm then
0: 64 what are you going to get into a fist fight with a guy that's been waiting for three hours i don't know because <laughs> i don't know that that's going to go over very well anyway so that's that's basically uh what was going on with me so that's about it so i'm just getting I'm working on maybe getting a buyback on the car because i'm just that'll so be sick interesting of the thing is do i want to get another one no it's going to be like this because i like the car but if this is going to be a constant issue, why a
1: gas Volkswagen? Then
0: I like the, I like the range. I like the four or five hundred miles. It's great. We'll get a roof rack with a couple of jerry cans up on top. That's way too hipster for for me. I'm not going to do that. So what's okay. been going on with you?
1: Uh, I've been working on uh, my 911 a little bit, and I'll tell you the only thing that's really exciting is 50 year old transmission bushings are really really difficult to get out. So what are you? What did you? What are we talking
0: about, Air control arms, your 911 or what? No,
1: these, yeah, the transmission. Oh, the transmission, sorry. Yeah, so I would uh, first I was thinking, oh, well, I'll just, you know, lower the transmission a little bit so I can peel the bushing out of there. It's a two-part bushing. And I was like, well, after a little while under the car trying to get it out, that wasn't going to work. So it's like, OK, I'll I'm, trying just, I'll be bushing, it. I'm trying to think of what you're smart about it. I'm trying
0: to think what your bushing is like, because mine, when I took them out there, it's just like a bushing that's pressed into right. like, a, are years different? Yes.
1: Yeah, so so you have the are, 915 trans. Oh, I have that's the right. 901 trans. OK. Right. So, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be smart about this instead of laying out of the car for four hours fighting this. I'm going to remove the entire cross member, bring it up on the bench and then work on it. So that was good. That was easy, fairly yeah, you easy took to take the four out. bolts off or whatever. Right, exactly. And my big impact wrench definitely helped. Um, but then I get it out here and I can't for the life of me press them out. I can't They're do stuck in the the cross member? Yes. So I finally take a map gas torch to it and basically burn them out
0: enough where I can pound them out. Yeah, that's basically what you have to do with a lot of cars that are new. Like even like some of the newer Volkswagens with their beam bushings and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, mine were just, it's like two bolts. That oh, just I know. Because it's the same in. as my engine mounts. Oh, okay. So that'd be nice. But these are... So do you have different. to get a different cross member so you can run like a different No, I already... Style?
1: Well, I, I got the original style bushings in a better kind of like polymer. So okay. I got it all back together. But I was just amazed at how... They were like concrete. So I don't know. The car is
0: probably going to feel better it'll probably feel better it might you won't feel the engine as much i imagine you know translating through the through the transmission tunnel so
1: no nothing else really all that exciting i did sway bar bushings that I
0: wasn't ever even really attached to the car, it turns out. I, honestly, I think it's to the point now where now you're starting to get to the stuff that I want you to do on the car. Okay. Versus doing <laughs> dumb stuff like sticky tires and deck lids, doing your bushings and all that kind of stuff. Yes. I'm very proud of you. Thank that you. Says, so
1: I am going to have the whole suspension system going to have brand new bushings. That'll be by great. Spring.
0: I did that on my car and it made it was incredible. It, sure it, it really does. made like an incredible. Well, it's funny when
1: it. I took out my sway bar, like at one of the end links, the bushing was completely off, so it wasn't even connected to one side of the car. So my rear sway <laughs> bar was literally doing nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That'll that'll
1: that, probably make an improvement. It'll probably make one it one would a
0: think. Although you're you got to keep in mind, you're going to be putting a lot of stress on components, axles, transmission with those sticky tires. I would be very careful. It's not just that you're dumb. It's that it's also <laughs> not a good idea. You know, it's, you're putting a lot of stress on your suspension, on your axles, everything else. Be careful. It'll be fine. It probably will, but we'll see. It'll be fine. Um, all right. Before we get to uh, having Colin on the program, why don't we talk a little bit about patreon.com slash Overcrest, absolutely. You can go there. You can become a member, a Patreon
1: of ours, and be the first to hear new episodes. You can see us live. We do recordings now. You can get a T-shirt, and uh, I don't think we do prints anymore, unless you have any. More I have prints a couple left. I got a couple. All right, left. that'd be very cool. Um, in addition, we have exclusive content, which we're going to be recording tonight.
0: Yes, we for are for our for our Patreon members. They're going to be getting another in.
1: history story that's really kind of cool, and it'll be. I'm going to keep this one a mystery. I like it. I like the mystery stuff. Yes. Um,
0: so uh, we'll be right back with Colin in just a moment. Mr. Colin Comer, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? Very good. It's uh, it's great to have you on the podcast.
2: What's a podcast?
0: <laughs> well, we're off to a good start. <laughs> how are you? Uh, how are you surviving the winter down there with the uh, with the car shop?
2: Oh, the everything's going on just fine. We just got a lot of snow and ice to run around on a daily basis as you can relate.
0: Yes, I, I certainly can. And there's, there's more coming. So, uh, I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk a little bit about, you know, I know you're really experienced buyer and seller, but before I get to that, I kind of want to know, um, a little bit about you and your history and, and where cars started with you. What, what, what was kind of the impetus for it, uh, in your life?
2: Well, um, I guess, kind of since birth. I don't know why, but I always liked cars and anything mechanical that moved, made noise, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I was like a car freak from my first year almost. So I don't know where it came from. Um, You know, my my dad was not much of a car guy, but my dad's dad was a a car and motorcycle guy in a former life you know, before he was a family man. So maybe, maybe it skipped a generation.
0: (laughs) Well, I always wonder if it's genetic. My, my, my dad's not super into cars, but you know, he likes cars as well. But I think most guys are a little bit into it, but some more, some more than others. Um, What was the first car that you bought and sold at a profit? Uh,
2: The first car that I bought and sold was literally the first car I bought and sold. And it's the first car I made a profit on. So um, maybe that was, maybe that was my, Maybe that was my gateway drug. You know, I never I just wanted to buy a car and then I ended up buying one and selling it and finding out that uh you know somebody would pay more. But it was a I was thirteen years old and I bought a sixty eight Mustang convertible that was smashed in the front, drivable, but smashed. Um I bought it and tried to hide it from my parents. And
0: <laughs> where do you hide a car? Where do you hide that?
2: Especially at thirteen. Well, I'll tell you where you don't hide one. You don't hide one around the corner from your house. (laughs) Um, I'm just wondering who
0: sells a 13 year old a car.
2: Yeah. Good point. A college kid. Okay. It was a college kid that that drove up from Florida in this, in this kind of turquoise or, uh, you know, Robin's egg blue 68 Mustang convertible, six cylinder three speed on the floor. He was driving up here to go to university of uh, Milwaukee and got hit on the way up here. And got here and was like, hey, man, this sucks. And I think he also realized that between Florida and Wisconsin, there is a climate change. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he got here, it was like maybe a convertible, not the best choice, especially with the front fender ripped off of it. So um, he sold it to me. And uh, Did you, you got, obviously you got a big I'm,
0: discount with the with the fender, obviously.
2: Yeah, I don't remember exactly how much I paid, but it was somewhere around four or five hundred dollars. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm older than you, so cars were cheaper when I was a kid. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you you're you're you you got them after they appreciated. I was when they were still just junk. Um, but yeah, so he sold it to me. I went and found somebody that had a driver's license to drive it home for me, and he. <laughs> the seller gave me a list of people. He said, Hey, if you don't want this car, all these people have called and they want the car. So, um, as soon as I realized that, you know, the gig was up on hiding it, um, How did did you get caught?
0: What was the, what was the story there with getting caught with that car?
2: Um, I was asked by my mom, if I knew anything about the car around the corner and (laughs) I, Said, I don't know what you're talking about. And she <laughs> said, Well, you should probably get rid of it before your father finds out. So, <laughs> she, she read your face
0: like a book, didn't, didn't she? She knew. Yeah.
2: Well, I don't know if she knew it was my car or if she just assumed or if she thought it was one of my friends because I had older friends that would sometimes ditch their cars near our house. Um, but one way or another. So my dad did understand that I had done this on my own and then said, Hey, if you want a car, I'm going to help you pick out a car. And then there are going to be some rules. So, you know, he didn't want to crush a 13 year old's dreams, but he wanted to make sure that it was not going to interfere with school or.
0: And that you weren't driving the Mustang around when, when
2: when you're 13, when you're 13. Well, you want to make sure I didn't start out with a, with a prison record. So (laughs) That's
0: that's very fatherly. That's very good. Um, So what was the first car that you ever sold at a loss that you were, that you were trying to make a profit on?
2: Do I, do I need to admit that I've sold cars at, <laughs> loss, at losses or is this something I can pretend this is
0: this is a hypothetical <laughs> yeah, what is said from here on out may or may not be true,
2: yeah, asking for a friend um, <laughs> I don't really remember I know that that somewhere in there, I'm sure because I used to buy cars and then restore them myself, so I'm pretty confident that every car that I bought to restore, if I counted the labor, I lost money on it um but using you know, simple math, like I paid 500 for the car and I spent $300 on Bondo and I spent $100 on paint. I didn't lose money that way. But if you count that I put 400 hours of labor into it, yeah, I probably lost a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I try not um, to look at things that way because <laughs> then it starts yeah. to get ugly real fast. I think exactly. I've, I've probably lost so. money on every car I've ever owned if I include going to get it and, and the three Red Bulls that it took to get home that night. You know, it all adds up pretty quick.
1: Yeah, it depends what you think your time's worth too.
0: Right. Um, so
2: right. well, when you're, when you're, when you're a kid, your time's really not worth anything. Cause nobody, nobody will pay you for your time. That's so, true.
0: That's true. So when did you realize that this could be a life for you, um, buying and selling cars?
2: I never really, I never really realized it. It was never like an aha moment where a light bulb went off. Um, honestly, everything in my life is just, you know, it's better to be lucky than good or lucky than smart. In my case, um, everything good that's happened in my life is just like, presented itself and made itself apparent to me like i didn't plan to have a life with cars i just wanted to have cars and my whole goal was to you know find some money buy a car sell that car to buy a better car and keep doing that and i just hope to have enough to pay the rent in between
0: did uh, you know what car you were trying to work your way up to back then Was there something that you had in no. mind like the holy grail that was
2: Well, I had, you know, and again, this was a, the route that my life took through cars was it went from the Mustang that then had to disappear. And then my, my father was, um, English and Irish and he didn't, not really a car guy, but he, you know, thought British cars were the way to go. So my next car was an MGB that I restored. Um, and then I took, I found a guy on the street corner that had a uh, Alpha GTV, a 1750 Alpha GTV. That's I didn't know funny. anything about Alfa Romeos at all. Um, but it was $2,700. And I thought maybe I could bridge the gap between my $1,500 MG and the 27 R Alpha. So I went for a test drive with the guy and that was like eye opening. like, holy cow, the sounds this thing makes and it has brakes and handles. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that was, you know, dumb luck go from a tractor of a british car to a alpha with a double overhead cam all alloy engine every casting is like a piece of art um so that was that kind of sent me on the path of learning about alphas so you know and then you go from there and then you learn about alphas and you think oh what's a better italian car well then you start looking at ferraris <laughs> you start looking at, right you know uh, but really it was just a good time to to grow up and come of age, uh, back in their early eighties when, you know, muscle cars were cheap and plentiful and European cars were all over the place, you know, when you live near a university and, um, really I just had a quest for knowledge and learning about every kind of car. So, um, and then it morphed into, I had a paper out to try to make money to pay for car parts. And uh, one of my stops was a little repair shop, little garage on my paper route. And the fellow who owned the place, um, really nice guy, Jim. And I used to go there with my papers and drop off his paper and and look around. He goes, well, if you want to go on back and look at the cars, you can look at the cars. So pretty soon I was throwing my newspapers into the dumpster outside of (laughs) this garage because I realized in the pre-internet days, if somebody didn't get their newspaper one day, they wouldn't call. If they didn't get it two days, they might not call. So you had like a grace period where you could just throw all your newspapers out. I can honestly say that I did the
0: exact same thing. You had a paper route. (laughs) I did. I had a paper route with my buddy and we would, every once in a while we would just dump them all in the dumpster and just go do something else. (laughs) It was pretty good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I dumped all my newspapers in the dumpster and I would go work in the garage. And eventually I just was working in the garage and then, You know this fellow became a friend and we uh you know i learned how to do mechanical work i learned how to do body work and then you know it just kind of went from there so um i got out of school and and uh, opened a repair shop like on the side out of my garage i worked in the dealership by this point and then i was a new car dealership and i was restoring cars on the side out of my garage some to buy and sell and some for other people and then after a while, it just occurred to me that I should just be doing that full time. So that's how that's how every every adventure starts, I guess.
0: Sure. So what are some of the hardships of running a collector car business? Some some stories that you've run into where you really hope that something like that doesn't happen again.
2: How long do we have on this show? Can we? <laughs> how <laughs> good is this story? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, just give us a couple, give us give us one that you that really comes to mind.
2: Well, obviously the hardships are, you know, you, it's a lot of backbreaking work and it's a lot of hours. And anytime you deal with old cars in the Midwest when stuff is rusty, uh, you're always going to have a challenge of actually fixing stuff. But then you add in that a customer usually thinks that why can't you paint my car for $500? Um, all that kind of normal business stuff. A a guy that owns a pizza parlor would tell you the same kind of problems in their industry. Um, Anytime you're in a service business, people are going to have different expectations than what it actually takes to do something. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, besides the overhead and the finding the help and all that kind of stuff, it's just, uh, you know, it's like any other small business out there. You just have to, you take the good with the bad. And thankfully, for a guy like me who loves cars, you know, I wouldn't want to do anything else to be able to wake up every day and and go play with cars. Even when you have a bad day at work, it's still a really good day because it's not, to me, it's not really a job.
0: So what car that you've sold that's gone down the road has broken your heart? (laughs) The the one that, the one that you're just like, (sighs) the one that got away, the one that got away that you really just wish you still had it. Not necessarily Uh, for the money, but just for the, for the broken heart part of it that you just really wish you could drive it around.
2: Well, I still have, you know, I'm, I'm a sentimental guy, uh, you know, on many levels with cars. So I still have my my Alfa Romeo that I had in high school because I knew I, I could never sell that car and replace it. And it, even even at times where it was worth enough money to change my life, um, I just thought there's going to be a day where I'm going to look back. and want to have this car. So I just kept it.
0: That's the same way um, I feel about the 911 I have right now. If I sold it, it would really help me out right now <laughs> for sure. But I just I can't imagine it not being there.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, there were, there were times where I was literally couch surfing. I did not have a place to live, but I had an alpha. So it was like, okay, (laughs) you know, but, and you know, when the car might've been worth $8,000 or $10,000 and that would have paid rent for a year. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's been a few of them. I mean, there's been uh, I had a D type Jaguar that, uh, I wish I would have kept, um, a GT40, some of these other cars were just not because they were worth, they're worth so much more money now. And they are, but just because at the time you had to sell it, it wasn't like, there wasn't a conscious choice to sell it. Like, Hey, I just don't want this anymore. It was like, I better sell this so I can make payroll and (laughs) keep the lights on for my shop. Right. So those are the ones usually have regret when it's a forced sale.
0: So in terms of the, the rarity of some of the cars that you have, you said GT40, that's got to be really up there. Is there anything else that kind of is in that realm of, you know, some of the really cool stuff that you own they, of your favorite cars in terms of rarity?
2: Well, I like rare cars in general. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of those cars in there, I guess. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys that I like stuff that's unique and I don't really care if it's worth a lot of money, but if it's, if it's valuable to me or represents something to me, um, again, going back to keeping an alpha just because it's not, I mean, they made thousands of them, but that's my car. Um, so yeah, I've, you, you asked before if there was a, if I ever had like a, a dream car and I guess it kind of changes after a while, but I had, you know, in the 19, I think it was 1984, 85 for Christmas. My dad bought me a book of collector cars and I went through there and circled a lot of cars, um, you know, back when they were like a Ferrari TDF had a value of eight to $10,000 in this book. Hmm. And you go through and you circle these cars and you think someday, of course, in the mind of a 17 or 18 year old, you think when I have the money, this car is still going to be $10,000. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Unfortunately it didn't work that way. Um, but you know, I had, I had a Ferrari TDF at one at Lama. I had a D Type. I've had all these experiences that I have just feel so fortunate to have been able to experience these cars and own them and drive them. My um, my wife and I have taken a Cobra Daytona Coupe out for coffee. Wow! Uh, you know how many people can say that? So
0: oh, how, two, apparently,
2: <laughs> is, is my guess. Is my guess. There's two people that have done
0: that, and and you're you're one of them. Um, so I want to get into a little bit of you know trying to impart a little bit of your knowledge on on my audience and and the fans here um, how is buying a car for investment or sale different than buying one for yourself because i think that's one of the things that i struggle with is i when i go out to buy a car i'm like i always want to buy it for myself with the hope that i can make money from it later is there like a difference or uh, a different way of approaching those two things
2: there, there's a difference i never look at a car's, an investment. I think when you look at something as an investment, you can look at something that you like and justify it by by saying it's going to be worth more money someday. Pl- I'll play that for
0: my wife. That sounds like a pretty good clip to have. I
2: think, <laughs> I think he's oh, saying that's not the answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it works like a charm. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... You know, I've never looked at a car and bought it just solely for investment. I've bought cars that I think... Uh, my money will be safe because when you're when you don't have a lot of money you have to be careful that you don't lose i mean if you roll the dice you don't want to lose the money so you take your best guess and you buy the car but i you know i would never i always advise people don't buy a car you don't like because you have to assume if everything goes to hell in a handbasket that you don't want to have a car that you don't like in your garage like when the muscle car values were going nuts uh, you know, 2004, 2005, there were Ferrari guys buying Hemi Cudas or lift-off hood, you know, road runners and this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I would ask them, like, you don't even like this car, do you? Goes, oh no, I think it's hideous. So, so what happens if that car you just paid $200,000 for is worth $35,000 in a year and a half? How mad are you going to be when you walk into your garage?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got to look at that thing. Oh man.
2: Right. And 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 there were literally guys calling me that were getting lines of credit that didn't have the money. That were getting lines of credit to buy cars they didn't like or didn't appreciate and didn't care about. Wow. Just because they thought they'd be worth more money down the road. Is that happening a
0: lot Which, now with like the European vintage stuff? Are people doing that kind of thing? Cuz it seems like the market's no, gone crazy.
2: Th- this stuff happened in the late 80s right before the, you know, the first big crash of my lifetime. So um, when we, you know, you'd go to the Pomona swap meet and there were guys at three o'clock in the morning in line with briefcases full of cash, trying to buy stuff before it even got in just on specul, just on speculation. And there were guys like Ferraris where people were buying, they were literally buying a title for a car that was in a restoration shop years away from being done, but they were buying it thinking by the time the restoration was done, it was going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars more or millions of dollars more, but then the market crashed good they realize (laughs) honestly it's like these are these seem
0: like the worst kind of people to me they're the ones that i feel are you know the speculators and stuff like that that buy the cars like this or what make make it hard for me to own my car because all the parts go up in price and everything else it becomes difficult to (laughs) own for like regular dudes that don't have a ton of money it makes it harder
2: absolutely which is what which is why i think the market today is so much better it's all i mean it's not all i should say but it's you have so many more enthusiasts buying the cars. Look at, look at stuff like Radwood and what we're calling the Radwood effect now. These are not guys that are buying these cars because they think they're be worth more money. They're having fun with them. Right. So if you buy something and have fun with it and enjoy it and it happens to go up in value, hey, you won. If you buy something and have fun with it and it's like worth a little bit less, who cares? Right. But mm-hmm. if you buy a car that you can't afford and you think it's going to hit, like the guys that bought you know, let's say two years ago, guys were buying 275 GTB four cam Ferraris for three and a half or $4 million thinking they were going to go to five or six. Well, guess what? They backed up. So yeah, I'm sorry that you lost a million dollars on your car, but you shouldn't have bought it just for investment.
0: Right. That's, um, yeah, for sure. You know. um, on that note, what are some rules you never break when you're looking at buying a car? There's just things you tell yourself that you're like, well, that's a deal breaker for me every time. <laughs>
2: You mean you mean? What are some rules I tell other people not to break? Because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are
0: <laughs> what are some rules that you tell other people not to break? Sure, we'll go with that.
2: <laughs> well, you should always buy the best car you can. Number one, I mean, don't don't buy a maybe. Like if you want, you know, if you want a air cooled nine eleven, and you have fifty thousand dollars to spend, don't go buy. You know, like a crappy one for $50,000 because it has the right options or it's the right year, you know, whatever, you know, buy one that might be a little less desirable car, but is great. Like a good car, because you can never, you can't make a bad car into a good car. And I'm a guy who restores cars. So you cannot make a bad car. Jake's heart is breaking right now.
0: (laughs) Oh,
1: that's not true. I didn't buy
2: a bad car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there are people where you try to explain to them the debate that, has, that I've floated to numerous people is, okay, I'm a Shelby guy, 65GT350, here's your choice. You can buy a 65GT350 that was totally rusted out, and every piece of metal is new. The frame rails, the floor, the firewall, everything except the roof and the serial number tag is new, but it has the original motor. Or you can buy this one-owner California rust-free 65GT350, Beautiful body, perfect original interior, but the guy blew up the engine street race in 1969, and he put another K-code motor in it. Right. Which one do you choose?
0: I know which one and I would guide, choose.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. The price guys tell you to buy the numbers-matching car.
0: Mm, that's unfortunate. Yeah, the
2: numbers-matching car is worth more. But in the real world, I think the DNA is in the metal. It's in mm-hmm. the soul of the car. So... Uh, An engine. No, I'm not saying numbers matching is not an important thing because it is, but that's almost a service a service item at a certain point. Engines weren't designed to last forever, so you know this is the problem. Look when you're looking for a car, always look for one with good history. Verify. You know you can you can talk to the owners. You know where the car's been. It's not a UFO. Um, (laughs) Look at the Jerry Seinfeld thing going on right now. I was
0: just going to bring that up. That seems messy.
2: Very messy. I mean,
0: for anybody that doesn't know, basically Jerry bought a car from a dealer out in California, sold it to another guy who then found out it was fake and sued Jerry. And now Jerry's suing the dealer. Is I that think that is, red bus? No, no, that's a different story. That's completely different. This is like some old Porsche thing.
2: And, it's, a, it's a Carrera speedster that now they're claiming that there was no prior history of the car. Hmm. So it, it ends up at a dealership. It gets re, this dealership that restored it. Sells it to Seinfeld. Seinfeld keeps it for three years or something like that, brings it to an auction. Seinfeld bought it for a million two, brings it to auction and sells for a million five. The guy takes the car to the UK, gives it to a broker and says, Hey, sell this car for me. The broker comes back and says, No, we don't like the car. We're not going to sell it for you. <laughs> Yikes. So then they start digging and find that without that history, they can't find any old owners. They can't verify the numbers are right. They can't, you know, it's just going to be a mess. And that happens all the time. That's the problem. So how do you avoid
0: something like that? What do you, I mean, at some point you just have to trust people, but how do you avoid being in this situation?
2: That's where, that's where ownership history in a known car comes in. Uh, I just had a, a deal on a car the other day that a 3000 mile original paint fox body celine mustang
0: so i like that
2: everybody knows the car it's supposed to be a great car i send a guy to i I fedex my paint gauge to a friend he goes to inspect the car he finds paint work on the car i do a little digging call a couple of guys and they say oh yeah that car had the left side of the car got damaged it got painted okay well the owner's adamant that never did but here's the original owner had told people that he had an accident or had somebody bumped the door and he painted it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, but if I had, had I not used the paint cage, had I not called around and talked to people that knew the car, it wouldn't, you know, I would have ended up with the car with paintwork. So these are the things where when you can call and check a car's background. um, And that information
0: gets lost too. Like if he didn't tell you when you bought the car anyway and sold to the next guy, eventually that information just gets washed away and it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. And then nobody ever knows
2: unless you use the, you know, My pocket lie detector, a.k.a. paint gauge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So don't uh, bring that near my car, by the way. (laughs) yeah, Stay away from (laughs) me. Stay away from my car as well. I've had a paint gauge on my car. You don't want to know. So uh, what about the 25 year rule, guys? All the people that are like bringing these cars in and importing them from uh, from England and Australia and Germany and stuff like that. Is that something that if you want one of those cars, you should just import it yourself? Or is there merit in these dealers that are importing all these cars or what do you think?
2: Well, if you haven't done it before, it is it is a tricky deal to get a car into the country. But there are brokerage firms that you don't have to buy it from the dealer. Um, You can go through these. You can find the car, uh, and you can hire a an importer to do it for you. It does, you know, it is tricky. And sometimes just buying it from a dealer. If a dealer is over there scouting cars, and fills a container and brings them over, the economy of scale comes into play a lot of times. Especially like uh, my friend, who's you know a Japanese car collector. You know, there's a couple of dealers that are specializing in JDM cars, and their prices are not bad because they go over there. They know where to find them. They spend the time over there. They check them out. They can get them into the country, you know, a little more economically than anybody else can through their connections. And then they're here. So, uh, you know, I think it's not a bad thing to buy one from a dealer who specializes in that stuff. And it's not a bad thing to try to do it on your own. So, it's just. Realize if you go and buy a car sight unseen from another part of the world and it gets here and it's not what you thought it was, you are never getting any money back. I mean, you're just out.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, So if you were just initially getting into this and you had like, let's say, $10,000, how do you get started doing what you do? Like, what would your advice be with someone just getting started? And don't say
2: run well, away. I started, I, no, 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 no. I, I started my business, you know, nobody would give me a loan. So I started with a credit card with magically a $10,000 credit limit. So, um,
0: what's that car today? If you had to pick one, I would, is it some like malaise Radwoody type thing? Cause that stuff seems to be pretty hot.
2: Yes. That's where I would go. So I would say it depends again, buy what you like. So if you like American cars, I am. I'm, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I really like Fox Body Mustangs, <laughs> and I've been buying because I think first that's the first gen Mustang of, of my generation. So I mean, people are starting to buy that stuff, and you can get a really killer car for ten grand. So, otherwise, I like AW11 MR2s. I just bought a you know a first year MR2. I mean, CRXs, CRXS, I. You know, all that kind of stuff is just, you know, a, a Mark one GTI.
0: No, you can't even be, barely touch those anymore. Those things have gone. Can you even get one for 10, like a really nice one for 10 grand anymore? I bet you could probably get I don't think it a
2: really nice one. But if you go out West and look around Craigslist and all that kind of stuff, you can get, and I don't care again, if it's a good solid car, I don't, I don't care about these guys who want to buy low mileage, you know, virgin cars. You know, I bought, I bought a Selena one owner, box body, Celine Mustang, uh, from out from California, original paint, but it sat in the guy's carport for the last 20 years. And the paint's like peeling off of the thing. Mm. We call it the Joe dirt Celine. So, (laughs) but you know what? I'm I paid $7,500 for that car a couple years ago. It's going to sit in my shop. It runs and drives great. It's just sunbaked. But for 7,500 bucks, I'm going to let it sit until those cars are worth more money until it's worth until I can afford to paint it and clean up the interior But right now, it's just like money in the bank to me. They'll never be worth less. I think of like for that, that's like to me, that's like a guy 30 years ago buying a ratty 65 GT350, you know, and just shelving it. Right. Because then magically 20 years later, he looks like the smartest guy on earth. So
0: (laughs) there's a lot of things that I wish I would have done that would make me the smartest guy on earth.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but if I was starting out, I would definitely buy something fun. 80s, 90s, you know, just something. I mean, even a Suzuki, you know, Swift, you know, one of those hot rod ones. They yeah, had. a little
0: GTI. Those things Ooh. are awesome.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, all this weird stuff that we grew up with, that's what people are going to want. I mean, Jeep, uh, you know, what's the uh, 90s Jeep Wrangler, 88 to 90, what was it, 88 to 94?
1: Yeah, uh, no, the XJs
2: as an XJ, I'm showing my ignorance. I,
1: I, am not even a bunch
2: of them, but yeah, I mean, you can find those things out there. Look at it. We'll look at what early SUVs are doing, early Broncos and and blazers and that kind of stuff. Well, what comes next? The next, you know, the 1980s and 90s stuff. So um, there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity and don't be afraid of hard work and, you know, elbow grease and all that kind of stuff. And just with the internet today, I mean, when I, when I was starting out, I had to buy a plane ticket and rent a car and drive around California and Arizona for days, you know, with penny shoppers and bulletin boards, looking to find stuff. Now a guy can go, you know, on a uh, search Tempest, and yeah, get on yeah. Craigslist and scour the country. Do you so- miss that a little
0: bit though? Do you miss like buying the plane ticket and going to the middle of nowhere and just like opening a magazine and being like, Whoa, there it is. I mean, that had to have been oh, pretty God. special. <laughs>
2: I, I miss it. Like I can't even explain. I mean, it was so great to go, you know, to go out to be able to fly somewhere. I, I, I tell people this all the time. Like when I was starting this, if you had $15,000, you'd go to any town in America and you'd be king of the world. You could buy 10 cars. I mean, I would go out and hmm. fill semi trucks. You know, I would buy seven, eight, nine cars. It would fill an open car truck. I'd stockpile them in one place out West, haul them all back here and throw them in a barn. So, I mean, that was like, there were no cell phones. There was no, I mean, it was just the adventure of going out and trying to find stuff. I still, I have clippings of some of the better want ads, like, you know, six-pack Cuda convertible for $8,500 I went and bought. You know, this kind of stuff that I I saved the ads because I'm thinking someday I'm going to look back at this and think this is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, you look at the back of any of the car magazine stuff, you look at the classifieds back there, it's enough to make you sick. Um, anyway. So I really appreciate you coming on, man, then letting us some insight. And uh I'm sure I'll see you around this summer at Road America, I imagine.
2: That would be good. I will certainly be there, and I look forward to it. All right, thanks
0: again, man. Take care of yourself.
2: Thanks, guys. You too.
0: Yep. Bye bye. Right. We'll be right back with some news and Joel Fetter. All right, before we get into news,
1: just want to let you know of a really cool promotion we're doing on Instagram for the month of March. Eyes Up Auto Art is letting us give away a custom commission painting of your car. They've done some really cool work for Audi's race team. Is Magnus there, is, Walker. Is there any and way i can? others? Can
0: I win this somehow? I want a custom painting of my well, car. Well, we could probably fix it, <laughs> but we won't.
1: So a guy named Zachary Carroll is the man behind the brand and the brush of Eyes Up Auto Art. Their mission is actually to help, I like this, memorialize people's cars they no longer have, celebrate ones they do or make a dream more tangible. I like it. Zach's unique style focuses on exaggerated contrast and colors. It's a really cool, like, pop piece. And so for your chance to win, be sure to post a photo of your car on Instagram and tag both Overcrest Podcast and Eyes Up Auto Art. And then at the month, the end the the month of... At At the the end end of of the month, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to pick one lucky winner to get an awesome custom painting of their car. We'll also post this on Instagram as well. So you can look out for that. Again, it's Eyes Up Auto Art. Awesome. I like it.
0: All right. We are back in studio with Joel. Thanks for coming around, man. Thanks for having me. He is here from Motor Authority to help us out with a little bit of news. I'm sure there will be a lot of Chris, you're wrong, perhaps. I can't As we go through through some of these stories. I've listened to the show. Jake's not always right. That's true. Well, neither is Chris.
3: Chris
1: is usually wrong. Chris I, is usually yeah, okay. wrong. Okay.
0: Thank you. I don't. Chris is usually to wrong. Jake right. is sometimes There's wrong. The There's lots of wrong. I think you need to change who your whose ass you're kissing here. This is. Uh, <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say. Why does it matter? This is free.
0: This is free news. All right. So first, um, first on the docket, and this is a story that I, um, that really bothers me is that uh, the story of the new cars that have to have speed limiters. Yes. In in Europe. Um, I'm just going to go through and read a little bit of this article here. Um, Following approval from MEPs. I don't know. What is an MEP? Does anybody know what an MEP is? Sounds like a MEP. A MEP. (laughs) Following approval from MEPs, the European Transport Safety Council will impose mandatory speed limiters and data loggers on all new cars. Wow. I got to tell you, man, I'm really skeptical. This is all going to go through. You don't think it's going to happen? It's already. Isn't it already? It's already a law. It's approval. It's approved. It's already okay, I have not, it's Europe, I have not followed 100%, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm shocked if that, that goes into effect. It's not, so it's something that you can turn off. Right, but you can't turn off the data logging. No, well, you can't turn off dat- data logging now. Your cars are data logging you everywhere you go now. Technically as is. speaking, if you buy a new Benz, they yeah. can
3: technically go into your car and they can track your car, legally sure. speaking.
0: They won't. I suppose. But they could. Dubbed intelligent speed assistance, the limiters will use GPS data and or traffic sign recognition cameras to to determine the speed limit of a road a vehicle is traveling on. Engine power will then be limited to match this, preventing the car from exceeding the speed limit. It will be possible to override the system by pushing hard on the throttle. However, the system will be engaged every time a car is started. So. So basically, it's going to use like ways to find out what Yeah, that's fine. But all you have to do is just push the pedal down further. Here's here's the here's the response to that. If you think you can simply keep pressing a little harder on the throttle to break through the system, right. think again. Okay. ETSC also states that, quote if the driver continues to drive above the speed limit for several seconds, the system will sound a warning for a few seconds and display a visual warning until the vehicle is operating at or below the speed limit again. So basically, it's going to start beeping at you and, and flashing there's no warnings. way to
1: permanently disable it.
0: You can turn it off, but you're going to have to turn it off every time you start. The so car. this
1: is the same as the stupid auto start stop at stop signs. Right. You can turn that off, but you have to do it every
0: time you start the car, except not really, because they're actually controlling your going and slowing down and accelerating. Here's here's another thing. Um, You can turn it off. However, the safety council does indicate that it intends to push for even stricter rules in the future, meaning a permanent system may come into force. Wow. So here's the problem with all this. And this is in Europe, which is a bummer because I like Europe. I like European cars. Here's here's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm always right, as everybody knows. So this is this is <laughs> this is Sue saying this is the <laughs> first future. time on this show. I know that's wrong. <laughs> Here's the future. This goes into effect. It's optional for now. Later right. on, it goes into effect for sure. And it will crush European car culture. It will absolutely crush enthusiasm. There's going to be no enthusiasm for cars if the only place that you can speed is a on the Autobahn or B, which is getting speed limits, which is. Potentially, yeah, getting yeah. speed limits, or Potentially. or if you go to the Nurburgring and drive on the, uh, which on costs the a lot tunnel. of money. Yeah, it's not cheap, and that's that's the, that's your options. You know, you can go on the track, or you can just deal with it. And I don't think any. How is this? How is culture going to survive?
3: Meanwhile, in America, we're getting 80 mile an hour speed limits in Texas, and California seems to think we should have an autobahn, which will never happen. But they think we should. So it's kind yeah, of funny when you that. look at the contrast here.
1: Yeah, I don't understand. Well, I, the problem though, if it works in Europe. It won't be too far until someone says, why don't we do it here?
3: Well, but progressive insurance already allows you to lower your insurance rate by having a data logger in your car and showing you're a good driver. Yeah, but that's, that's by choice. And you can also take it out that, whenever you want. but that's just want. a step, right? Your slippery slope. It's but that's a, a step. Pr-
0: that's a private company. That's not a regulation handed down by the government. That's law saying every a car must be- slippery slope. It's a step. Right. What if every insurance
1: company does that?
0: And what if an insurance company requires it? Because- there's some insurance companies that want your business, and will be the insurance company that does not <laughs> do it. Because a believer in until the free market. Until they all do it, until
3: they all do it, and you have no choice. Just like an like all airlines choose check, All airlines cost check bags. All airlines require this. One airline does it. All of them do it. They One don't. Insurance they, company
0: does. It, they all do the it. The way that they all check bags is different. Sometimes it's free if you check a bag. If you've got their credit card, you don't have to pay at all. Sometimes it's only if it weighs this much. Everything you just of- said is a perk. Joel, that's why I only ever fly private so then i'll of course <laughs> i'll choose the insurance company that has the perk like if i you need to do whatever you take you sign up with this insurance company they're not the one we got with the really box.
3: so back to the actual thing in the europe
0: i'm just saying that if european car culture dies okay. it's going to be like the withering rose it's all the pedals are going to fall off and it's going to just ruin everything and it'll infect enthusiasm in america as well and i I just it's like
3: a scene on beauty and the beast going on yeah
0: exactly (laughs) i will say it totally deters from
1: like who cares how powerful your car is now so that just got rid of any sort of horsepower wars and got rid of any sort of performance facts Uh, yeah but hang on hang on
3: and and this is an article i wanted to talk about at some point in in the future we've gotten to a point in horsepower wars it's irrelevant you can buy a car with 800 horsepower from the factory with a warranty you don't need it nobody needs 800 horsepower in a the street, it's not. It's it's four hundred horsepower is pretty much the limit of what you can really use on a street. Really, okay
1: right? But people still want performance cars. I understand that. Why but does like, Porsche sell a car when you could buy a Kia? Is it all luxury? If that's the case, why isn't everyone buying a Lexus or Cadillac or?
3: I think I think, but hang on. But you said power. That's what I was hitting on. Okay. Like, I mean, we've gotten to the point of power I, and I don't disagree. Power with you powers have gotten ridiculous. I don't disagree with you, but and that I like all I'm cat just going to preface that like largely. You don't like exactly. the Hellcat? I love the Hellcat. Oh, okay, good. I have like a relationship with the Hellcat. Well, I,
0: think what, I think what Jake is saying that is if this law passes, what is the point of having a car that's enthusiast-based? It doesn't have anything to do with power right. or anything else or handling because you're only going to be able to go as 25 miles an hour around this corner. What is the purpose of a GT3 in a world where your speed is GPS limited? Not None. only that, what is... None. It's
1: done. None. It's over. Yeah. What is the benefit for buying one car over the other? Tibby, is it all just going to be based on that's a so, cool looking car? Hang on, hang on. That has heated seats? None
3: is the answer to your question. But but, but but to go on that, what's the point of buying a GT3 or a GT2 RS? And I know you drove that car. Uh, <laughs> what's the point of buying that over a base Carrera today? Because the extra power off a racetrack
0: is unusable. It it, it truly is. I've Yeah, I've driven right. it. It's
3: I'm just saying like a $100,000 Carrera versus a $200,000 or whatever 911 GT2 RS
0: on the street
3: with today's laws, which allow you to go, what, 80 in Texas?
0: Doesn't matter. So I think we have to admit that we all break the law when we're driving, yes? Never. Okay. (laughs) So we all break the law when we're driving. We all have a good time, and we all should be... On closed
3: courses in completely controlled
0: environments. We should be responsible for ourselves and not do that kind of thing around other drivers or when we have other people in the car. problem is people don't. And they're... There's also, don't. there's also a lot of other dangerous things that people do so we just outlaw all of the dangerous things <laughs> like scuba diving Man, And every
3: time I see somebody driving in a GL class Mercedes with ball tires next to me and my wife and my kids I get so angry that they're going to kill my family because they make stupid poor life decisions that maybe will kill them but they could affect me
0: I would be actually okay with uh inspections on cars for tires so that you, we're you. on we're on the same page there all right And safe cars is something that's important okay mr slippery slope here's you're deal.
3: okay with that this that tires i think everyone in minnesota should be required to have winter tires on i agree
0: car. with you that, but where's
1: the slippery slope that is far tires at the start <laughs> speaking the, of slippery
0: <laughs> yeah right it, that That is far more dangerous Some guy driving around bald tires in winter in Minnesota Is far more dangerous than me having a good time In my 911 when I'm alone on back roads I'm not arguing that So I think it's it's important to take context into this um, And true. people do dangerous things All the time mm-hmm. And just outlawing all of the dangerous things in the world Is not going to prevent people from doing Stupid or dangerous things You can't
3: fix stupid right? Something like that You, you
0: yeah. Well you can but it usually involves a little bit of violence Um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I I don't know what's going to happen with this beyond you talk on that. Yeah, beyond the fact that this is it's it's done. It's a done deal, right? So what's going to happen? We don't really know. Um, but it scares me, and I and you I do awake at night. It it will keep me awake at night. But here's the deal: you're not putting that device on my seventy two nine eleven. Where are you going to put it? You're going to put a block of wood under my accelerator pedal. But thank
3: God you have a TDI Jetta yeah. wagon and a, and a Tahoe. And since the Tahoe is unsellable, we
0: know we <laughs> put it in that. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, in other news, and this one is, I was really excited about this first, but the more and more I think about it, I'm less and less excited, is Peugeot is coming back to America in 2026. Um it's Peugeot SA. I don't know what the SA stands for, but they they have a uh, Citroen, DS, Opel, Vauxhall, um, mm-hmm. and I think that Opel and Vauxhall used to be owned by GM. Am I right? Correct. Correct. Right. Yep. So we and had, they lost a
3: ton of money, and then their first year out the gate. Sorry, sorry this is your story. no, no.
0: That's okay. You can say <laughs> the, the first year.
3: There's some irony. It's the first
0: like, year, they're they're uh, they're six of souls. So I'm gonna read a little bit of this. Um, PSA aims to be a truly global vehicle manufacturer, and this means increasing sales outside of Europe. The target is improving sales by 50% by 2021. Opal is being relaunched in Russia. Citroën's target market is India. And of interest for American readers, Peugeot sales will restart in the United States. A remarkable part of this is that the recently acquired Opal and Voxel brands are profitable in the first full year of ownership after experiencing two decades of losses, wow! G- and this just reminds GM ruins everything, didn't they? So, so, they so hang on, Saab. GM, GM, yeah. GM,
3: pilfered them, right? Like they, they, I mean, they used them as like a, a bank to just take cars for York or whatever. So that's one. They just they didn't, they didn't they took everything, but they didn't put anything in. That's problem one. Right. Two, um, Peugeot's coming here. Right. Citroen, not any of those other brands you listed.
0: Right. Only Peugeot. Right. But we did have so there were some weird GM cars that were actually Opals.
3: Some of those weren't so weird. I read uh, the
0: script. Sat- Saturn L Series. That was weird. but hang on keep going Saturn Astra that was not a bad car that was not a bad car but I didn't know it was an Opal. It was literally called the Opal Astra. Yeah, really I, wasn't. I, I, I they didn't, didn't know even that. change the name. The badge
3: was the only thing as far as the Saturn was the change. Keep going. Um,
0: the Cadillac katera <laughs> That was not a great car. Not a great car. And Jake's favorite, likely favorite of the list, the Buick Cascada, which I think they just canceled. Cascada. Canc- they just canceled, right? Cascada. Is that the yes, convertible one? Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: <laughs> Dude, that thing weighs so much. I actually it, have no idea. I think idea. the top was lead lined.
0: Sure. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the Buick Regal. Um, so we'll get Peugeot first and the other stuff later. The current apparently.
3: Regal, the new one and the cross tour, the wagon version. Yeah, uh,
0: right. Those are Opals. Yeah.
3: Which I'm they're not supposed to be really good, aren't they? They're not bad. Okay. They're not. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> and are that's it like from you a, Joel. Thank
1: you.
0: <laughs> they're not bad. Are you trying to convince me or are you trying to convince yourself? Or, Everybody. Um, uh, okay. They're not bad, but I'm just not so sure what went over a nice outback? What's what's the what are these going to be like in 2026? What are what kind of models are we going to have? We don't really know. Um, the Peugeot 208 and 308 GTI um, is is pretty cool. The 308 GTI is 270 horsepower, 1.6 liter turbocharged four cylinder.
3: Yeah, but six years from now, none of that. Yeah, that's to what it. I'm thinking.
0: It's like none of this stuff is actually going to exist. I anymore. didn't hear the the 2026. Is that when they're finally going to yes, come yeah, here? Yeah, that's, oh, that's next okay.
3: middle of next decade. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. When everything's the announcement
3: today is going to take a while.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So the okay. 208 GTI is probably one of the best like. super many hot hatches ever um it's uh but then it won't even be this though and it's a 208 horsepower 1.6 turbocharged four-cylinder so and they come
1: from europe where power won't matter anymore because you only do the speed limit so why would it be a hot hatch what's the point of a hot hatch anymore i don't know
0: no point so i I want to add that in (coughs) excuse me so that you know that game where you put the cups on the table and you put like something under one of the cups and you move them around? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. And then you lift one up and there's something under it. It's rigged, right? You can't really tell. It's cuz somebody's cheating, trying to move one thing around. Sleight of hand, sleight of hand. I'm yeah. gonna So this is our next news story. Um Tesla news a story or a news story? News story. Tesla is finally rolling out the long-awaited $35,000 version of the Model 3 in the United States. The company is currently making multiple versions of a standard range Model 3 that can travel 220 miles on a single charge. Previously, the most affordable Model 3 started at $42,900 after a February price reduction. Now, the way that I understand that they're doing this is this is all software engineered differences. All these cars are the same. but Is that true? Yeah, as far as I know. um, And then it's the software that actually makes it so you have more range or it goes faster, blah, 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 blah. a standard range base model will start at thirty five thousand dollars. Offers a top speed of one hundred and thirty miles an hour and go from zero to sixty in five point six seconds. Second version called standard range plus. Blah blah blah. Thirty seven. So basically, it's it's yes, it's thirty five thousand dollars, but you're going to add by the time you're point
3: done. Point of order, it's not thirty five. It's thirty six thousand two hundred because there's a destination of twelve hundred.
1: <laughs> what are okay, but what about the tax breaks that you get? Does that include That's irrelevant. Any of those? It's not
3: part of the deal. It's well, it's a thirty-five thousand dollars car, but it's thirty-six two. I just want to point out it's not thirty-five thousand. <laughs> how much will card. I pay though? Depends on your income level because those tax credits depend on how much you make.
1: Seriously? Oh, oh yeah. You're paying the whole thing. PS,
3: PS <laughs> yeah, seventy-five hundred dollars that expired as of December 30. 30 yeah, 30 I did. 1st. I did remember. So now that. it's thirty-five hundred. dollars yep. But beyond that, you have to you have to owe thirty-five hundred dollars to take advantage of the thirty-five hundred dollar credit. <laughs> so if you don't owe thirty-five hundred dollars, oh, I see what you mean. And not only that. But that's next year's taxes. You're gonna pay 35 yeah. grand today at right.
0: today. So you're not realizing uh, no, that at any point anyway. Um so the the new versions of the Model Three will come with an all-glass roof, yay. Um, which wasn't originally supposed to happen when the car Correct. was announced, but they will have manual, not power seats. They will come in black. Ooh. And other colors will add to the cost up to twenty (laughs) five hundred dollars. So it's
1: like the Model T back in the day. You can
0: have any color you want as as long as as it's black. black. So that's strange. So if you want a not black one, it's going to cost you more money. Um, I don't really understand. Anyway, so the new version of the Model Three are uh, they're available to order online now, and in fact, that is the only way. You will be able to buy Tesla cars from here on out. They're shutting a bunch of stores. Yep. Galleries. Sh- all, sorry, the retail, all the retail locations are being shut down except for like a couple. The company says it's shifting all sales worldwide to online only. So you'll no longer be able to buy a car in one of the company's stores. What about the dealer network? I mean, what about repairs? I didn't have a dealer network. No, I know. They had stores. Right. They're right? closing
3: those.
1: They're completely closing them. Yeah. What happens if my sensor goes
3: bad? That, hang on. Those stores were galleries. That was, quote, a sales thing where you come in, you can look at a car, you can take a test drive, you can order your okay, car, so whatever. Okay, so maybe I they still don't know. Oh, service, service, centers service centers are, service are, completely, centers are completely, completely different. separate. They're not in the same place. They're not even in the same, like, suburbs, usually. That's and frustrating. completely, because eh, <laughs> the, the galleries are usually in the mall. Oh.
0: So, the so galleries, the, are here's the, 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 the mall. deal. You, you said something that's interesting. You said the word. Just one thing. You said, well, the one thing that stands out to me is you said test drive. How are you going to test drive these cars? Is that
3: in the script? Yeah, the if script. you know, tell me. So, so, so it's interesting. It's not a test drive anymore. It's almost like a free car rental for the weekend. <laughs> you, can buy the, you buy oh, the really? car. You buy the car. And they're so insured that you're going to love this car that you can return it within, what is it, a week and a 1,000 miles? So days, it can become yeah. a free rental, rental car. car. The issue is, is that if you go outside that thing, there's a $1,000 fee, which becomes a really expensive rental car
0: yeah i suppose but
3: so they can do it and then they guarantee like what is 24 hours you're gonna get your money back
0: here's the thing for me that is a huge barrier to entry so you're gonna have to go do the credit check buy the car you're right and go through the whole process of purchasing that vehicle to even be able to test drive it you know what's
1: interesting though chris this goes to their whole philosophy that you've commented on before people aren't buying these cars because they're good cars that they're cross shopping they're buying them Because they're Teslas. They they want to be
0: part of an idea. And they're so sure of
1: this now. And that must be the case. Like, well, people aren't test driving or deciding based on a test drive.
3: So hang on. Full disclosure. uh, One of our three sites, green carports. We did name the Tesla Model 3 best car to buy for green carports with a bunch of caveats. A huge asterisk behind it. Just full disclosure. Was this
0: before or after they lost their consumer reports? recommendation
3: before what that would not have affected our vote okay I don't hang on I wouldn't have affected my vote I can't speak for the rest of the team right okay Um, but we did put it we said we voted it it won And then we put a huge asterisk and we put all the caveats of like, you need to know these things.
1: So what are are those things? I'm curious now.
3: So those things include the fact that there is mixed build quality. Those things include the fact that the company who knows about survivability, those things include the fact that there's not consistency with the experience. That thing includes the fact that we weren't sure at the time there was no model three that was $35,000 at the time. There's a lot of caveats with it, but out of the competitive set this year, the Tesla Model Three delivers on the promise of a general consumer. Re- so, hang
0: on, uh, you guys, BMW guys? I love BMW. Sure. Okay, M- our so- Mister Producer is a BMW guy. So,
3: I had an E34 I had my 5 uh, <laughs> So, so I got into the Model Three for the first time ever, and I slipped into it, and I just shut my eyes, and I said, "Okay, what car am I in right now?" And the car, the the way the steering wheel, the way the everything is set up, it felt like an E46.
0: And then you opened your eyes and looked at a dolphin head for a steering wheel.
3: never really
1: have you that. seen
0: that
3: a dolphin head
1: I've look at the
0: steering wheel again it looks exactly a, like smiling a dolphin, dolphin. Head looking down. it's you'll never unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> you'll never be able to unsee it you'll never ever unsee it um so i think that's yeah that's about it for he says it's excruciatingly, excruciatingly difficult to make this car for $35,000 dollars i bet it is um he said thursday future models could cost less but these won't exist for at least two or three years so
3: hang on. Can we talk about the self-driving thing for a second? Yeah.
0: Well, if that's, that's what's next here. Okay. For sure. Let's
3: go there. Cause that's a real hot button on me.
0: Okay. Yep. Um, Elon Musk is no stranger to bold predictions. And on Tuesday, he lobbed another one at self driving tech doubters. Is that Again. what I am? Is Am I a tech doubter? You certainly are. That makes me seem like I should be like lynched or mobbed or. No, you're just throwing the guy in the water. on the lawn. You're on the guy with the lawn with the rake, man. Oh, they're going to throw me in the water and see if I float. The Tesla CEO <laughs> said the electric car makers' <laughs> a <witch> full <laughs> self driving feature will be completed by the end of 2019. Not and true. by the end of 2020, he added it will be so capable, uh-huh. you'll be able to snooze in the driver's seat while it takes you for from your parking lot to wherever you're going. Absolutely
3: Boom. not true in any outlet that reports that is lying and not reporting factually correct when i buy
1: that car as long as elon Wait, will handle all of again? my did you say when you buy that car? sure when i buy one of those cars as long he as elon A3T, dude. will <laughs> <laughs> sign off that he's gonna take all of my like lawyer bills and he's gonna take all responsibilities for if someone dies is when i'm like taking a, a nap is there that's a, fine
0: is there a legal obligation for them to do this now no, like if, if not I, even a little bit so that if they if someone dies trying to snooze in their driver's seat they can't sue him no. Do you
3: remember one of the first autopilot crashes where the guy got beheaded because he went under a semi-truck because it was white and the sun glinted off it correctly and the radar system didn't see the truck and, the they semi- and he was watching a movie? <laughs> no.
1: I
0: heard about it. Family that. tried to sue didn't work out did not it? so much um, well actually who knows they might have settled It's so i'm it's sure here. that's what I actually asked. here's yeah. what tesla here's what uh elon actually had to say i think we'll be we will be a feature complete that's in quotes on full <laughs> self-driving this year meaning the car will be able to find you in a parking lot Mm-mm. pick you up nope take you all the way to your destination not without intervention bit. this year i must even said bit. during a podcast interview i am certain of it that is not a question mark no <laughs> so hang on. a Couple things.
3: They are building, so they're on autopilot AP2s. Uh AP AP is autopilot. Sure. They're on AP2 uh, hardware. So first gen AP2 hardware only had radar. Second gen AP2 has radar and cameras. I think there's six, but don't quote me on that. Uh, AP3 will be their current hardware, but then they're gonna upgrade. They're making their own right now. They're using a third-party chip. They're yeah. developing their own chip. And they developed the cars so that they can drop their new chip into the old cars and the new cars. And anything with AP2 will be AP3 all of a sudden, which is kind of impressive and smart, really. Um, And to their credit, it just is. But here's the thing. They are the only car maker in the entire world that thinks they can do self-driving cars with cameras and radar and not LiDAR. In Mm. the world. So either they know something every other automaker in the entire world doesn't know, highly doubtful, Or they're being cheap and brazen and playing fast and loose with customers, which never done that before. Uh,
0: (laughs) So that really is a hot button for me. Yeah. Well, today, Tesla customers are willing to plunk down an extra $5,000 at purchase to unlock their vehicle's enhanced autopilot feature, which is far simpler than Musk is promising. The technology guides a car from highways on ramp to off ramp, including suggesting and making lane changes, blah, blah, blah. So that's all it's really able to do right now. So they're giving $5,000. $7,000
3: later to upgrade over the year. If so, you don't do it today, when sure. you buy your car, it's seven grand later. So it's $2,000 premium if you don't you do it Remember when I was talking about that cup game
0: where you <laughs> have to try and find out what's what so exactly it is? Just so
3: you know, they took this. So they offered all this stuff last year. Right. And, they, and, and all of us journalists, people that were worth their salt at least, called them out for false advertising. Marketing guy, you should know what this is. Right. And so we called them out and they removed it saying it was too confusing for consumers who were paying for it, not understanding what it was. Because you're advertising full self-driving capability of a car that can't fully it's smoke. And beers. yeah, <laughs> so they're bringing it back now, and on the on the call today uh, with, with with journalists and investors, the question came up of why are you bringing it back? What's yeah. different now? And the answer he gave was, because we're close enough now, meaning the chips are almost ready, that by the end of the year, we feel that we can do it. And so now it's going to be less confusing because coming sooner, where it was so far off in the distance, people didn't get that.
0: So what they really needed was capital and they need these people put this $5,000 down because <laughs> they need money.
3: I, I think he believes what he said uh, of their yeah. close. I think... Here's the thing, though. It does, in some la-la world, okay, that everything he said is true and the car literally can self-drive in, in 12 months and you can sleep at the wheel. In some la-la world, that's true. It doesn't matter because the regulations don't exist. And right. he even said with an asterisk, if the regulations exist, which they will not because we still can't have... Full laser lights here that are adaptive because our laser our headlight laws are from the eighties. Yep. Right. So when Audi can't bring their level three self-driving system here, and I don't know if you guys know the different levels, the five levels. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. So Audi can't bring their level three system in their A8. In fact, the hardware is stripped out of the A8s to come here because mm. They said, well, if we put it in there and we do OTA updates in the future, the problem is it could be so long in the future before people and the laws are ready here. It's not worth it. So A8 sold here today. Do not have AP3 or uh, self-driving software for level three that they do in Europe. They don't. Because because the laws laws are so far away. Full self-driving is level five. Audi can't sell a level three car here.
0: You will not sleep behind the wheel of your car in five years. They could, but they won't because they're not stupid like Tesla is.
3: They could sell it here, but the problem is they wouldn't be enabled. So what's the, they, they, they why would you put the cost in the car?
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um. So Musk also told Arc Ark Invest podcast, Susie, that Tesla's autopilot AI computer is about to roll into production. He said the company's technology will be a two thousand percent quote. <laughs> that's a quote two thousand percent improvement over its current technology. That's the uh, that's the chip I was talking about, which comes right. courtesy of automotive supplier and chipmaker Nvidia. What? Well, make- how do you quantify? Two thousand percent.
3: You know that that's not that hard to quantify. So it's not. It's because the old one's now two and a half years old. So or, is yeah. it
1: like literally just processing power that he's yeah, talking it's, about? It's more power. You think that's what it is? Yeah. Two thousand percent better. Here,
3: here, here, yeah, but here's the thing. Again, like they don't have lidar, <laughs> <laughs> which is really important because that's it, radar and lidar work on different frequencies. You see different things. Right. They're the only automaker in the world. The things that can do this without lidar.
0: Have they ever said anything about why they're not using it? Actually,
3: there was one conference call I was on and it got brought up and he quickly said, well, it's a cost thing. No crap. It costs more to do LIDAR than RADAR. LIDAR is more expensive. And we think we can do it with RADAR radar can sense through and he gave all these statistics about fog and whatever. And I'm like, that's great. Cool dude. But here's the thing they work. I'm not, I'm not that smart. I'm never the smartest guy in the room, (laughs) but I know enough to know they work on different frequencies. So they see through things differently, whether it's solid, solid objects, not solid objects, fog, rain, whatever. And I also know that cameras, you guys live in Minnesota. You know what happens to all your sensors in your cars? Yeah. It ain't going to work.
0: No, you can't. You're not going to no, be able to use that's covered, what I always when it's covered in about. Salt. That's never right. going to happen.
3: Has Elon Musk driven in Minnesota? So they do their winter testing up in uh, Alaska. I okay. know their winter testing center quite well. Um, so there's, there's two major testing centers. There's a handful. Uh, in North America, most people either do it in Baudet, Minnesota. That's where Acura does it. That's where Fair to Future was just at. And they also do it, Tesla does it up in Alaska. And then a couple other automakers do it like, uh, they, do, they do Sweden for, for Volvo and right. uh, the Arctic Circle. A bunch of our automakers do Iceland, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's only a handful of places in the world that get that cold. Right. Mm-hmm. And they do test them. The thing is, you got to realize the density of where all these Tesla's are sold. Right. So L.A. Yeah. is their biggest proponent. So in L.A. on the 405, it will not be hard to have a self-driving car. It really won't. Hmm. In that bubble of planets on the 405, it well, won't
0: they, be that hard. They need more of an economy than what exists in California to be able to sustain a business. They have to totally. be able to sell cars in Chicago but, where, but, where there's on, no on. lines on the road they because to, they're all covered on. in snow. But they,
3: if they sell – here's the, here's how I vision – and this is actually the first time I've ever said this. I'm just kind of clicking right now. Here's how they can do it, right? If they can sell a full self-driving Are we sure car, we
0: want to give them this information?
3: <laughs> if, no, this, this, this is how I think he gets you, get the gotcha, right? I think that if he sells a car that does full self-driving capability 100% next year and it works on the 405 mm. in L.A. in perfect weather – he can say, I sell a car that does this. Yeah. PS, it's not my fault the regulations don't exist. I'm sorry. He can do that.
0: And he would do that. What do you mean the regu- the regulations aren't what's keeping the car from doing everything? It's environmental and it's it's actually the, the, the physical. There's, cap- there's two parts to it. Let's say he the car can't
3: do it today. But let's say the car can do it. Okay. The regulations don't exist for him to legally allow you to
0: do it. Right. There's well, two parts to this. There's not regulation that says you cannot do it. Yes. There, there is. is. We, we've talked about Are it. There? there is. Yeah, you can't, you will get a ticket if you fall asleep behind well, the wheel. Yeah, obviously, if you fall asleep, even if you're, I'm saying that if you're there and you're paying attention. There's the currently cars- legal laws you can't text behind the wheel. Right. Right. But there's right. nothing that says that you can't text behind the wheel if the car is driving for you, then then you there can. There actually is a law that says you, because there's no self-driving cars today. So right. the law says you can't mm. text behind the wheel, period, full stop. Right. Which means unless the law gets changed, good luck. Yeah, but I'm talking in a more of like a like a an overarching sense of whether the car is capable of doing it or not regardless of regulation. There's two parts, to it. There's two parts the, to it though. Forget the regulation. If the car the can
3: ca- do it in the perfect conditions in the 405 next year He meets his quota and he can say, sorry, it doesn't work in Chicago, but it's irrelevant because the reality is, is that A, it doesn't hear, and B, the regulation doesn't
0: exist. So he'll just shift the blame onto the Remember the cup (laughs) Games? Yeah, the cup game. Yeah, we just keep moving it around. All right. Next story. Um, The Porsche Macan will be turned into an electric car when it undergoes a redesign early next decade. Now, this is um, uh, huge news. Huge news. This is. Hold on. Early next decade. Is that that's 2022
3: ish frame. Really? Correct. So hang on, Porsche expects 50% of its sales... To be all electric by 2025,
0: right? And wow. well, this car is like, what is it, one third or fifty percent of about fifty percent, about fifty percent. The Macan is fifty percent now. It is. Well,
3: before that, it a was the Porsche amount. before the Cayenne, and before that, it was the Panamera. Right. You know, the lights are on because of it, right? I mean, the reason is nine eleven. The nine eleven is yeah, it just But I still
1: thought the Cayenne or the Panamera were taking up the yeah, slack. Yeah, but, no. but
3: but Macan costs far less. They, oh. they
1: sell oh, yeah. like, it. Yeah. They sell like a hundred. Yeah.
0: They sold like a hundred thousand units amount. of them. Crazy. Um So, the question is. Um, I I was, you brought some news to me today, which was, was yeah, yeah, so I thought that this was going to be, it was like, that's it, bar none, all electric. Technically it is, technically it is, but. Porsche made the confirmation on Tuesday and also reiterated it stands to 50% of its lineup, blah, 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 blah. Um, He says, uh, annoyingly, electromobility and Porsche go perfectly together. Not just because they share a high efficiency efficiency approach, but because of their sporty character. And I have like a little unhappy face driven there. Uh, the next McCon <laughs> will be based on a dedicated EV platform Porsche is developing with Audi, referred Called- to as PPE. Correct. The performant, the premium platform electric first vehicle based on the platform will arrive in 2021. Now, I thought that this was like that's it, no gas, that's it, we're done. But that's not true. So,
3: I, okay, hang on. The, Macan, the next generation Macan will be all electric, period, full stop. But there's going to be a ramp to that. Mm-hmm. Like today where they have the new Ram 1500 and they sell the old Ram 1500 still alongside it for a couple of years or the Silverado or whatever, where they sell these old vehicles versus the next new ones. Yep. So it's come out and we learned that they will sell the old current gas powered Macan for an unspecified amount of time read until the ramp is finished because they don't have the production capacity to build both Sure. Right. and the current Macan is on the first generation Q5 platform the Q5 is on a new platform so the Macan is on a platform that's not made by Audi anymore so the Macan's running in is that old, like MBQ or something like that no it's before all those naming structures came into place okay, okay. it's like really? the old yeah so the, Mac- the current Macan is not on the current Q5 platform current Q5 is on a different platform altogether okay yeah so this is the last car to be on that platform So they will build that and there'll be basically a ramp. So let's say the new Macon comes in 2022. It's all electric. Let's say by 2025, the old Macon. So they have two and a half years of making that timeline up of overlap. So it won't be a day one, full stop zero. It'll be a ramp down. So they will produce some side by side for a little while, but it will be all electric eventually.
0: Yeah. So company officials had last year revealed some conflicting information about whether a fully electric 9-11 was being being considered, but CEO Oliver Bloom seemed to, seem to issue the final word on that for now in saying that a plug-in hybrid is preferred. So I'm thinking in probably three to five years we'll see a plug-in hybrid 911. Uh that
3: timeline's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, wow. it'll be it'll be the refresh. Right. It'll be like the nine what are we on 99? We, we, we I, I don't have it pulled up right my story right now, but the 992.2 or something? Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I don't have it on my screen because I didn't pull it up in time. But we did run a story on this. I'm on authority. You can check it out. Uh but <laughs> Kirk Bell wrote a story because he went on the launch for the 992 about the, how they developed this platform to have the encompassing, pl- the, the last one couldn't fit it. It physically right. could not fit it in. So from the get-go, this one was developed to fit it in and it's in the product plan
0: for the refresh. Yeah, the PPE chassis is so new that there isn't even a Wikipedia entry for it yet. I mean, there's very little information out there on this chassis and what it's...
3: So, the is not on that chassis. The Taycan... That's what
0: I was wondering. So, the Taycan is... J1 or something. Yep, the
3: Taycan is J1, which is also co-developed with Audi, and that's what the Audi e-tron sport, whatever the heck they're going to call that thing, is going to be on. Those are the only two cars on that platform, and then it dies. Right. Oh, really? And then yep. PPE comes in
0: and then it goes to SPE, Yep, which is the uh, sports platform electric um, Porsche is thought to be working on a separate platform for electric sports cars referred to as SPE um, that's going to be 2025 and that's probably going to be 2025 will probably be full electric 911 will be available. I bet like uh, I at the, I, there's it's inevitable. So why wouldn't why wouldn't they make it? I'm not saying it's all that will be there, but I think it'll be an option if you want it to be.
3: I'm not sure we're there yet, but I don't want. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure we're there yet. I think we'll have a hybrid and a plug-in. Yeah. Um, the hybrid would be a sandwich motor, and then the plug-in will have a larger battery pack on the sandwich motor. Uh, and then I think that the full electric will come. I think 2025 is ambitious. I think it'd be second half of next decade.
0: So do you think that how does this bode for bode well for Porsche? I'm going away from you know. Knowing that when you get into like a GT3 or a 911, it's that flat six engine and it sounds awesome and they have a very unique capability and they're going to take all of that away and make it, you know, they're basically putting a technology in it, you know, is what people will see it as, as like this electric technology yeah, that does electric. One of the things that makes cars unique is that you have. You have different engine types. So you've got like flat fours and Subaru. You've got inline four, inline six, V6, V8, flat six, turbocharging, supercharging, direct injection, not direct injection, carburation and standalone. You can do all these different things. And all of these make cars unique. And when you look at the flat six that's in a Porsche, it's very unique. It's special. You know, Subaru does one too, but it sucks. So you have this flat six engine in the 911 that revs out to 9,200 RPMs or whatever it is. You're you're telling me that you're going to take that character out of it put electric motors in and people are going to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Well, people like you or other people. I was just going to say anyone. Uh, So people like you, no, you're going to stick
3: with your old car. Uh, People that buy a current 911 GT3. So I don't want to generalize. There's, there's, but there's, there's different kinds of people that buy these cars. Right. And you know this, you've met the owners. There are people that don't care. They bought a 911 GT because, Hey man, cars and coffee. I got my 911 GT3. You see that car over there? I'm the first one in Minnesota to have it. And those people are going to be the first one to have an electric 911 GT3. Because, s- hey, man,
0: I got a 911 GT3. That guy over there. sucks. And if you're that guy and you're listening to this podcast, unsubscribe right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, hey, I don't want but your hey, to. Am I right? Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I was going to say, so first of all, you're
1: talking about how when everything's electric, it's basically going to level the playing field, right? Right. Not
0: true. Uh, there's only so enough certain one of ways to build an electric motor. Here's the other thing, though, Chris. Most
1: people, probably not the people who listen to this podcast, but most average consumers buying cars probably couldn't tell you what engine configuration is underneath their CRV. So are they really going to care? Well,
0: you're just, you went from talking about a Porsche which just an enthusiast-based car where well, people definitely do care to a CRV where people definitely don't. So, hang so I don't think that but there's a on. middle ground. So hang on. The guy
3: that drives a Subaru Crosstrek today, is, in, which is one of their most popular cars, doesn't understand or know that his Subaru Crosstrek, while super uber capable, is uber, uber slow. Okay, they don't know that.
0: The CVT in that thing makes me want to...
3: Different story. They don't don't know how slow their car is and they don't care because it gets them everywhere they want to go. It starts every time and it's safe and relaxed. But again, period,
0: end of story. That's not an enthusiast based
3: car. I understand that.
0: Everything about Porsche is enthusiast based. It's heritage based. It's culture based. A lot of its image, though, Chris. Of course it is. But that. How is that that 1918 image? Talk to me about that plug in hybrid. That image doesn't exist without the mystique of Porsche and what they've done in the past. And it doesn't all of a sudden you're, just, it's like, you're pulling the rug out from underneath all the, everything, everything until now has been an evolution from the know, original concept of the air-cooled Porsche, everything to A to B also hang we, on. People said this stuff when they went water cooled. True. It's still, that's a, a
1: really interesting analogy. The
3: world was ending. The chicken little sky was falling. Yeah. But <laughs> and look, here we are, but they could even and now look, they're
0: water injecting, but they could even look and go, Hey, you know in, in 911 2 with the water injection. You got, yeah, Nine they two. got a water injection. But they could, you could even say oh well, you know some of the race cars had water, you know, the the cases were water cooled and you could go back and be like well, a lot <laughs> of the F1 race cars, cars were, have curves. That's a hybrid system. There you go. Now we're veering way this off. This is track. my job. What? My my point, my point is that the enthusiast base evolution of the Porsche <laughs> is coming to an end and will the 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 base of the buyers jump on the wagon? for what's next i don't know i don't know i'm not sure let me put it the the easiest way because look at this guy the only way the reason that guy is like hey that's my gt over there jg3 what do you think it's pretty cool huh it's because of all the other dudes that go man yeah that thing is cool because it does rev out to 9200 rpms and it sounds like fucking crazy and i saw chris harris doing crazy amazing burnouts around some chris harris
3: like completely while very respected that was a litmus test you just put like way in the wrong corner. <laughs> that cause cause he's a here's the
0: journalist that can afford that
3: stuff. I'm just I'm you. are the enthusiast hang on, everyone you're talking about right now? Yeah, but
0: they need they the can't support. afford the car. No, but they need the, the only reason that douchebag GT GT3 guy thinks it's cool is because of all the kids and everyone else that's licking his boots when they're at Carson Coffee because they think the car is cool. But all those, those kids, kids at Carson get...
3: Coffee are watching their Tesla model X with the doors going
0: no, nope. they like cool. These I've cars- been at Cars and Coffee while that thing is doing it. And the only people that are watching that are fuddy duddies. No and one else cares. Go buy a 911 GT3 electric. They're not. If there's no support base for people thinking that GT3 is cool, that guy is going to be on an island alone with a so- super silent, stupid 911.
3: <laughs> Two things. One, all the enthusiasts that own 911s like you and Jake can't afford this new car. Can't afford a new GT3. Can't afford a 911 GT2. Period end of story. And you probably never will because these cars aren't going to depreciate to the point where we can afford them. You, me, Jake, we can't afford these cars. We can't.
4: <laughs>
3: he has a Hummer.
0: <laughs> it's true.
3: It's true. Two, two, there's a lot of excitement among the J1 platform and that Tycon.
0: There is, there is. But, and, and, and but and it but, looks it, legit. But here's the deal: it's not a 9 They're not taking anything away from anyone, it's an additional car.
3: I don't think when there's an electric 911, there'll be a non-electric 911 that dies. I think that they'll live simultaneously for a long time.
1: Uh, Regardless of that, it's going to be a different market buying those cars at that time period.
0: I'll totally just, different yeah, market. It'll be different. And I'll, I'll that just I think is the bottom now. light. And I, here's the deal is I think all of this change and shifting will still cause older cars to come up in value as people, you know, that aren't into that want the other thing. So those people will be shifting into the market of older cars. Blah,
3: yeah, blah, so blah, all stuff. your cars that you can't afford now will be even more on Tanium.
0: <laughs> uh, Ports are going to go way up, Chris. That's, that's not and what I want on at all. that note. On that note, I really appreciate you coming in. Everybody go check out Motor Authority. Where can they find you on social? Everywhere.
3: Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Joel Fetter, and Motor Authority. Both right. of them.
0: Check us out. Check him out. And uh, we'll get back to you next week. Take care.